Welcome back, everyone, to Raiders of the Lost podcast. I'm Leo, joined by my brother James. Episode 7. Here we go. We're going to be discussing the comparisons and differences between Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver versus Todd Phillips' Joker, as well as comparing The King of Comedy as well, which is also made Mm. by Martin Scorsese. Three very similar films. And very similar protagonists, antagonists, and in terms of loner cinema. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go over that. But before we get into the episode, we just want to thank all the people who are new to our channel, new to the streaming Everyone who's been leaving five star reviews—that's awesome. We really appreciate it. We yeah. weren't really Thanks expecting for watching and listening. the outcome we've been getting the last week and a half. Whether you found us from TikTok, from YouTube, Instagram, whatever—mostly from TikTok. Mm. We really appreciate you guys. Keep leaving those five star reviews. They're Fuck getting yeah. us views, getting us shown on other uh, other browsers for people's podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're everywhere you want to see us. YouTube channel, subscribe. Uh, TikTok at Raise the Lost Podcast. Again, thank you everybody. For all the support so far. Now, let's get into this episode. Let's do it, man. All right, so Loner Cinema. So, Joker and Taxi Driver. Joker is heavily influenced by Taxi Driver, movies like Conversation. King of Comedy. Drive. Um, a lot of these quote-unquote loner characters who kind of, they've been taking over films in Hollywood for the last few decades, specifically. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a niche genre. You know what I mean? It's, it's becoming more and more popular, though, too. I mean, look at Drive with Ryan Gosling. That movie yeah. was super popular. It maybe didn't have the biggest box office, but, I mean, cult following-wise, that movie's huge. People love that movie. I love that movie. That's one of my favorite, like, loner cinema genres I've seen in a while. It's a great movie. Yeah. And then um, with this, um, Todd Phillips brought that subgenre and took it into the superhero genre. Yeah. And he created a, a very unique superhero movie. Not superhero movie, but comic book movie. I think he understands. He's a really smart guy, and I think he understands that if you want to tell these wildly original and unique and intense stories, you kind of got to head towards like a superhero vibe and you you have to use that as your platform or as the vehicle for your story. Because mm. I bet you if Todd Phillips brought this script without the Joker involved at all, no studio would have gave him money for it. It would have been like a $5 million movie that no one would have seen. Yeah. But it would have been on Amazon Prime like right away. Yeah, I'm, I'm super glad that... Uh, he was able to he was able to figure out how to incorporate with the Joker of the character. Well, he he told he told a, a big budget comic book movie kind of film in the way that you would tell an independent drama. Yeah, you know what I mean. And the storyline was also heavily influenced by the Killing story. I mean, the Killing Joke, which is probably the most iconic Joker Batman comic book. Mm. Which uh, everyone's seen. Like that's the art. That's like Mark Hamill does the voice and everything. Yeah. So I have that. You should read it sometime. Yeah, I should. Yeah. Also, films like Leon the Professional, Bringing Out the Dead, First Reformed. Those are all other kind of. Oh, I love First Reformed. Yeah, loner character cinema. So First Reformed is really. That was one of the best movies of that year. Ethan Hawke is insane. In that's that movie. a really he's recent so example of that kind of character. Yeah, he's so good in that movie. But um, yeah, let's get into this. So Taxi Driver came out in 1976. It's one of my favorite movies, and I think it's one of the best American films ever made. Absolute masterpiece of a movie. I, I think the first you showed me it for the first time, like you usually show me movies for the first time <laughs> before, like I got really into movies, and this was like a decade ago at least. That's this is when we were doing on Netflix in the mail. Yeah, we had to have been teenagers, and I'd come home, you'd be watching the, an obscure French movie. I'd be like, oh, what's this? And I'd just like smoke a joint and hang out and watch the movie with you. And, and Taxi Driver, you definitely showed me Taxi Driver, and I fell in love with it immediately when I watched it. And every time I watch it, I can't turn away from it. It's like yeah. one of those movies that you're. It's, it's a hypnotic movie. Yeah. The score helps with that, but also the way Marty shoots it is the camera work is very um, loose. 
kind of follows Travis Pickle around. Mm -hmm. There's not them. There are a lot of moments where there's no dialogue for several minutes. You know what I mean? Just the voiceover. But you kind of just like, you really, he really films it in a way where you, you feel what this person's life is like a day to day basis. It's not just scene, scene, scene. It's like you're following him on his routine. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not exactly a fairy tale, but maybe it's a kind of a nightmare. Like the feeling you have. Because sometimes you feel like you're in limbo with this character because he basically, the first line he says in the movie is, um, I haven't slept or I can't sleep. Yeah. Something like that. That's the first line he says in the movie. So that's a really good way to indicate Travis Bickle's character. Emotionally, he is in limbo for yeah, sure. He doesn't kind of. He doesn't know how to express himself and he can't find anyone to connect with. He's lost. He literally specifically says that he's just trying to find a job that he can work long hours just to pass yeah, the days. Because he can't sleep. Because he's bored. He's yeah. lost. He's got insomnia. He's a Vietnam War vet, so he's he probably have got anyone. some PTSD. Yeah. No family. He has family, but he doesn't contact them. Mm-hmm. He's in the middle of this big, broken down New York City in the height of the, the start of the crime sprees in New York New City. New York City at that time period was awful. Yeah, it, well, it spiked Times in the Square 80s. Was, Times Square. In spiked the in the 80s, but it's the, the crime rate started to spike in the late 70s, which is like... Times it, Square was just filled with porno theaters and prostitutes and, and drugs. Yeah. People were afraid to visit New York City. It wasn't a tourist attraction back then. Yeah, and, and actually, the way they saved New York was um, the I Love New York logo. Uh-huh. Um, New York um, paid a, a graphic designer to come up with that logo to help rejuvenate the city. And over time, that iconic logo helped save the, the city of New York and allowed people to regentrify it, clean it up, and brought new tourists into New York City. Do you know how they saved it similarly in uh, the 19th century? No. So in the 19th century, late 19th century, early, early 20th century, New York was full of all these horrible divey bars where like you'd get like the worst kind of creeps like Mm -hmm. like sailors who just like live on boats and they're here to get a drink and like fight or somebody or like just degenerates gamblers drug addicts like in these horrible conditions horrible food bars and what they did that's what started liquor licenses for bars where you had to pay a certain amount of money for a liquor license if you couldn't afford that Mm -hmm. you had to get out of there and so most of these crappy horrible rundown bars and restaurants and in brothels couldn't afford liquor licenses and they couldn't afford to operate their businesses they had to kick hit the curb and so that cleaned up new york city Ah. in the 19th century because it was bad if you think it was bad in the 80s imagine what it was like in 1892 you can only imagine holy crap the characters that were going into those into those (laughs) bars they would serve there were bars that would serve just old food because they needed to say that they served you a meal. <laughs> so they would just serve rotten food to customer after customer after customer. They would put it on the plate on your on your table with your drink mm. and then take the food away and just give it to the next customer. Jesus. Legally, they had to say they were serving food for the liquor. But speaking of uh, the world, um, Travis Bickle is such an ironic character. And even Sybil Shepard calls him a walking contradiction. Yeah. Because he lives in, he lives in this uh, version of New York City. He calls it a cesspool and... He says like the people that live there and operate there calls like, them animals, animals, the scum of the earth and stuff. And yet, he himself likes to um, go to porno theaters in his free time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He thinks he's an outcast in this world, yeah. when really he's part of it. Yeah. Same thing with Joker and, Ar- and Arthur Fleck. Mm-hmm. So Arthur Fleck, Todd Phillips did a great job creating kind of that similar 1970s crime written New York City with Gotham City yeah. even like creating the world in that opening shot with mm-hmm. downtown with like the adult there's a Gotham you've like, never seen before yeah so he basically used the taxi drivers in New York City as influence for that they actually shot a lot in New Jersey yeah. that city and so Arthur Fleck throughout Joker feels the same kind of 
outcast mentality. He's been a victim his entire life because of the city, because of the system. And same thing with with um, Travis Bickle. And I think two differences. So they're both outcasts, but they're outcasts for different reasons. I think Arthur Arthur Fleck is an outcast because he's mentally ill. Yeah, he's he, mentally disturbed. And um, he's disturbed, and he is he's just an abnormal kind of person. People don't, don't feel comfortable around him. He doesn't know how to actually communicate with people mm-hmm. in, a, in a normal way. He doesn't understand. People don't understand him. He doesn't understand people. Whereas um, Travis Bickle, he's a Vietnam vet, so he's probably been through a lot of serious shit. He has PTSD. It's probably why he can't sleep at night. Probably why he can't sleep. Probably why he can't uh, emotionally con- emotionally connect with anyone. So they're both outcasts, but for different reasons. And they both kind of um, start off in this similar space, in this similar kind of mindset in both beginnings of the films before mm-hmm. they eventually become like the final versions of themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they both see themselves as outcasts but yeah. in different ways, but literally they know they're part of the system itself. They both view the world in a negative fashion. They yeah. think the world is evil. They think they're better than the world. Exactly. Travis yeah. thinks he's better than the world. He yeah. thinks he's superior to these people. He thinks he's better than these people. Yeah. And that's why he's always looking for a chance to do something. He, the, Yeah, the thing with Travis is like he, 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 he has so much pain inside of him I think that he is just looking for the opportunity to cause inflict pain on someone else, but he doesn't want to do it to an innocent person. So he's always he's preparing himself for a situation, some kind of confrontation where he can lash out and get out everything that he feels inside and put it onto someone else. Yeah, well, that's so evident in that montage. So like he finally like a little halfway through the through the film. Do we want to keep? Do we want to like start talking about later on in the films? I, I just bounce around. Whatever. So like he's so we're halfway through the movie. He's got his guns. He's and then like you can tell he's training. He's, he's exercising his muscles. You know he says mm-hmm. that line like every muscle must be tight. But yeah. what's he training for? He doesn't know what he's training yeah. for. The audience he's doesn't know what for he's training something. for. That's it. You know, he's in the mirror. He's practicing quick draws like a, like a magician that's practicing uh, sleight of hand tricks in the mirror to make sure that he does it perfectly. Well, so, hold on, I'm sorry to interrupt, but by this point in the movie, I think he does know what he wants to do. Um, he wants to destroy both the male um, characters that are um, that dominate both the female main characters. So the um, Palantine, the politician, who is the boss of Sybil Shepherd, mm-hmm. he wants to kill Palantine because... Sybil Shepherd turned uh, Travis down well, and rejected him. Both, and then he he also wants to attack Harvey Keitel because he's in control of Jodie Foster. Yes and no. Yeah, yeah that's so. I that's think he, the reason. he he finally figured out what he wants to do. I don't think he wants to kill them for control. Maybe that's a reason. But if you think about it, when you compare Arthur Fleck and Travis Bickle, Travis Bickle tries to assassinate the senator because he represents the society that let him down, the society that's corrupt. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Arthur Fleck with Wayne. With Arthur Wayne, the senator, senator going, who's he's the senator, right? In that movie, yeah. And so he's running for senator, running for senator. Yeah. Also, another very powerful political figure who let his city down. Who's also a hypocrite. Who's not going to fix the city? Like when when Travis Bickle is in the taxi with the senator Palatine. I keep saying Palpatine like Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. When he's in the ta- cab with Pal- Palatine, he tells Palatine someone needs to clean the city up. Yeah. And then he watches Palatine on the TV later, and he's watching. He's like, this guy is full of shit. I, I, I get what you're saying, but I think that when he gravitated towards Palantine, because he, he wasn't political until he, he became infatuated with Sybil Shepherd, and then he's, then you see he has um, Palantine posters in his, in his bedroom. He's got the button on he's his jacket. He's got the button. Yeah. So he becomes infatuated with Palantine because it's part of Sybil Shepherd's world. And so when she, when she turns him down and rejects him, 
his that world he just he turns against it and wants to destroy it because it didn't accept him. That's how I interpret it. All right, I, I yeah I can see that. That's a pretty good point. Yeah. So well let's let's go back a little bit. I think we're going a little too far into the stories. It's all good, man. But um, it's let's be a long podcast. similar point. So all these characters we got to talk more about Rupert Pumpkin too from yeah. King of Comics. Oh yeah. So yeah. all three of these characters have a horrible inability to form real relationships with people. Yeah. Meaningful relationships with people. So Travis Bickle. He he doesn't even fit in with the cabbies, the other guys who drive cabs. Yeah, he, he's he an outcast among them. He doesn't he doesn't fit in with Betsy. He doesn't understand that to he doesn't understand why Betsy rejects him after he brings her to a porno theater. To, yeah, yeah. He he tries to talk to the girl at the porno theater in the beginning of the movie, and yeah. she's having none of it. He doesn't understand. It's like, bro, you're going to a porno theater. The girl that works there isn't going to want to talk to you. You're yeah. you're a creep. Yeah, he doesn't see that. You know, Alfred, I mean uh, Arthur Fleck, he um. He's obsessed with the girl who lives down the hall, Sophie. Yeah. And he creates this fictitious relationship in his head about her. Mm-hmm. And then um, Rupert Pumpkin, his relationships are basically with people who are also crazily obsessed with Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Like that girl in the, in the film. Who's yeah, Marsha. Yeah, so she's a crazy fan of Jerry Lewis. And also his delusions when he's out down in his basement with the mannequins. His, if you think about it, his delusions in his fantasies, those are... The only times he actually interacts with people on, on a, like a real level. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I love how Todd Phillips, he cr- he kind of took he took Travis Bickle and Rupert Pumpkin and he put them and together. He, and he put them together to make yeah. Arthur Fleck in a way. Then the, the two of them comprise Arthur Fleck so well. Like Rupert Pumpkin is this, he's struggling comedian and he's obsessed with with a famous comedian. Yeah. So Travis, and with fame itself. Yeah, Rupert Pumpkin's obsessed with Jerry the comedian, whereas. Arthur Flex obsessed with Maury Franklin, played by De Niro, mm-hmm. who Todd Phillips purposely put in the movie Joker in the reverse role of what he was in King of Comedy mm-hmm. to deflect any uh, accusations of plagiarism, mm-hmm. which was very smart, I think. Yeah, it was like, and it, it worked perfectly. De Niro was great in it. Yeah, yeah, he, he only had a small role, but he was great in what he did. Yeah, and so Travis, on the other hand, he isn't obsessed with a comedian. He has no comedy in his life at all. He doesn't have any aspirations, yeah. so he's not obsessed with anything, and so he 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 gravitates towards these two women in their lives. So Jodie Foster, he sees um, the victimized prostitute girl who he wants to save, and then with Sybil Shepherd, he finds this he sees this unattainable beautiful woman who he wants to make uh, become a partner with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So he he has this complex of women where he only sees them as either sexual objects or goddesses that you can't attain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So he has this skewed masculine version uh, viewpoint of women. Well, then why does he want to save Iris? He saves Iris because he wants to do something. That's like his mo- That's like his thing that he talks about throughout yeah. in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Like people have to find their purpose. Yeah. and try to become the kind. It's of because they he just be. is lost and he, he doesn't know what to do. And he has so much. He has so much built up inside of him, and the only way to let it out is with violence. Mm-hmm. So he finds this opportunity to let out all this violence and all this anger. And unleash pain on other people, where and it is an it's an opportunity for him to not like get in trouble for it. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes from Bickle in the movie is, "All my life needed was a sense of some place to go." Yeah, which is he's always looking for what is it, and so that goes back to which is actually a perfect metaphor for a cabbie because they're technically not going anywhere; yeah. they're going, they're just driving through the city. Yeah, and I want to go back to in the mirror when he's training, he's practicing those quick draws to make it perfect. He's trying to. He's got these setups with his yeah. with his forearm. Who's he going to war with? Yeah, is he waiting for someone to go to war with him? You know his lines like, "Are you talking to me? Oh, you talking to me? 
You make the mer- you make the first move. Let's do this. So he wants someone to attack him. Yeah. He wants someone to make a move on He's him. He's looking so for the. Respond. And also, it's it's interesting when he when he goes gun shopping with that gun salesman in the hotel room, and he takes the revolver and then he points it out the window. And he like points it at a pedestrian like walking down the street. He points it to yeah. So he's just looking for and something. And he aims at two women. Yeah. I think there's a carriage he's just too. Like, he just wants to hurt someone. You know what I mean? And I think like a, a major characteristic between all these characters is deterioration of their mind of their characters. And like Travis's deterioration is very slow. And I think the biggest turning point is like after he kills the first person at the convenience store, and then he kind of feels. No remorse for his murder. Just like Joker didn't really yeah, feel remorse for kill. his murder yeah. in his first kill. And um, Joker did that really off-putting and in, 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 in like mind, like hypnotic dance in that bathroom. Yeah, that bathroom scene, after he kills those three guys in the train station um, and on the train, I felt like that moment in the movie when he does that dance in the bathroom, I felt like that was a representation of, um, it's literally like a butterfly coming out of its shell it's the first moment where he he allowed himself to just be who he truly was Mm -hmm. because his entire life he's been told to be a certain way he's been told that like he has problems and he he needs help he needs to take these pills he needs to go to these classes he needs to see psychiatrists he needs to be fixed and this is the first moment where he it was like a truly authentic moment of action that he put out that was him and so the dance scene in the bathroom was him Evolving, slowly evolve. It was the first step to evolving into the Joker. You yeah, know what I mean? Not to glorify a murder. Yeah. But what he felt was power as a character. Finally, yeah. he finally is like, oh, I can do, I can do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And with Arthur, so his first killing technically is self-defense. The first time he pulls the trigger and kills a guy, it's in self-defense. He's being attacked. Yeah. But then he doesn't have to kill those other guys. He doesn't guys. have to, yeah. He doesn't have to well, kill the, the other guy. The third guy's running away. Yeah, so he doesn't have to get yeah. out of the subway and shoot him either. Yeah. But so the first kill is self-defense, you can argue for sure. Then yeah. the other two were straight up pleasure. Yeah. And chasing that guy down right before he gets to the stairs, pleasure. Yeah, he enjoyed it. Yeah. He so, wanted and to then, do it. And then, uh, not to cut you off, sorry, but with Bickle, his first kill is... Not self-defense. There's a convenience store being robbed. It's more out of protection for the store owner. And maybe he did it out of curiosity. Like, he didn't have to draw his gun out and kill that guy. Maybe he wanted to see what would happen. I And also, like, he's just... I feel like he's like a shark waiting to pounce yeah. on some prey. And you don't know what his past is in terms of what yeah. he did in Vietnam. Maybe and, he's killed a bunch of people already. And also, the, the thing with Bickle is he's he's like a cowboy in New York City. The way cowboy he, boots and everything. Cowboy boots, the, the way he dresses... Actually, the shirt he wears, that red and white checkered shirt he wears. When he goes to meet Iris. Yeah, it's actually the exact shirt that um, John um, John Wayne wears in The Searchers. Oh, no way. So Scorsese was inspired by The Searchers for this movie. And in that movie, John Wayne plays like a bloodlust cowboy who wants to kill every Indian he can see pretty much. Yeah. And so um, it's a correlation between Travis is like this modern day cowboy who's just looking to to get into violence, get into fights, get to to just hurt someone. Yeah. Because he, he probably spent so much time in a war zone where he feels like he maybe he's in a war zone still. He needs still. to do it still. Yeah. So his motivation isn't he doesn't want to hurt innocent people. Exactly. Though. So he wants to do something. He wants to hurt somebody. He clearly wants to kill somebody. He buys yeah. five guns in one sitting. Yeah. He doesn't know who he wants to do it to mm. until he the failed assassination attempt on yeah. the senator. And then Joker, Arthur Fleck, 
his motivation is also he wants to do something. He wants to be noticed. He wants society to realize what they've done to him. Yeah. And then our and then Rupert Pumpkin, his main motivation is also he wants glory and fame. Yeah. Also attention. I think Arthur and Rupert have in common the need for validation and also Travis in a way. The need for validation and the need for attention. And so they're willing to go to these extreme measures in order to get that attention and get that validation. Just like Arthur Fleck trying to get the validation that Wayne is his father. Exactly. It's a delusional concept, and he's told by the people in the hospital and by Wayne himself that it's not true, yet mm-hmm. he still believes it. Yeah. The same way that Rupert Pumpkin cannot understand that Jerry Langford doesn't want to be friendly with him because mm-hmm. um, there's a scene where um, Rupert shows up unannounced with his, with his uh, lady friend at Jerry's house, and they start... He tells the, the, his friend, oh, there's a party going on, and they're all dressed up, and they start dancing, and like they make drinks. And then Jerry, Jerry shows up, and he's like, what the fuck are you guys doing here? Yeah. And it, it, Travis, I mean, Rupert is so delusional, and he thinks that they're friends, and he can't accept the fact that Jerry wants nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and he's wanted nothing to do with him the entire yeah, movie. Yeah. The only, the only moment they had was in the, in, the, in the limo, and when they had the little small interview, mm-hmm. which Travis obviously failed because his comedy is not good. Yeah. So maybe like that cab ride or the ride in the limo with Jerry, the comedian, the is yeah. similar to when Travis finally gets the courage to go talk to Betsy and he wins her over for a moment mm-hmm. and he gets her attention and then he blows it. He blows it with everything. That's with actually, both. yeah, that's great because um, it's, it's both the, this thing that they want to attain and then they fail mm-hmm. and it causes them to lash out because Travis fails with Betsy. And he lashes out by going after Palantine. And neither of them understand why they're not being accepted by the other person. Yeah, exactly. Like, Travis doesn't understand why Betsy won't return his calls. Then he flips out and, like, walks into the to the campaign office again. Yeah, exactly. And then he does, like, that kung fu, like, get away from me! Yeah. With Albert Brooks. <laughs> I love that Albert Brooks is in that movie. He's really good in He's it. He's great in it. Yeah. yeah, he's very funny. So that reminds me, the best shot in Taxi Driver, and it's one of the best shots of all time in American cinema, is after the porno date, and it, it, obviously Travis fails, and Betsy is super un- awkward and wants to get away from him. And he tries calling her the next day, and he calls her at her office, and he's in, it looks like an apartment building. And they're having an awkward conversation, and she's obviously turning him down. And Marty takes the camera from, from Travis, and he slowly tracks it away, and then it ends up on an empty hallway. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, it's such a tense and awkward moment it's unbearable for even the audience to see because yeah. it's so pathetic. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's how like the world views Travis. Yeah, I love how Marty opens his movies. Like the opening of Taxi Driver is just like that loud percussion, like the dun 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 dun, dun with the big smoke shot, and then yeah. the taxi like coming like this. And then in uh, King of Comedy, he uh, opens it and then he does that still frame that he does a lot. Yeah, like, so the still frame in the limousine is one of the. It's an amazing still frame. Yeah. He he loves he does still frames a lot. He does so many good fellas. But that shot where Marsha throws her hands on the on the window and this like a flash of a camera and it freezes and then they do the credit roll. One of the best shots mm-hmm. for like one of the best freeze frames ever because yeah. it perfectly demonstrates the, the theme of the movie. It's the obsession with fame and the obsession with celebrity mm-hmm. and how people are desperate for it. Yeah, and people understand that they do a good job with Jerry like in his home just being a normal person. Celebrities are just normal people. Yeah, they're just and even like Jerry's life. Jerry doesn't seem that happy in his yeah. life. That's the ver- thing. That's the irony of it is Travis is obsessed. And he wants what Jerry has, and he wants to be Jerry. But it, uh, realistically, Jerry doesn't seem that happy. 
And then Marsha is a very wealthy person, a very wealthy girl, but she's yeah. just deranged and crazy yeah. obsessed in uh -huh. love with Jerry. Yeah. So it's not about money with her. It's just an obsession with the person. Yeah. She wants the person. Yeah. yeah. Rather than Rupert wants the, the fame. He and wants the glory. to be that person. He wants to be him. And the irony of of Rupert's entire character, like Marty does such a good job. He's like, is he a funny comedian? You don't really see too much of his jokes. There yeah. are some funny moments in the movie with yeah. him, but he seems like such an awkward guy, such a weird dude. And then like when he gets his shot, he gives like a weird performance. And then he ends up at the end of the movie becoming the biggest comedian on the planet. Yeah. So after he gets goes to jail and he gets arrested, he comes back and the last scene is he's performing a show and it says that like he says like oh i have uh people want to buy my memoirs and there's going to be a film deal so he's gaining huge success and it's ironic because it kind of shows you and it happens in the real world that people are so obsessed with fame and so the irony of it is he did something horrible and extreme but it got him notoriety and people are so obsessed with anyone who's famous that they'll latch onto it and it show and it happens in the real world people become famous for doing unsavory things sometimes true. you know what i mean look at king kardashian people people can get fame doing anything yeah and so it actually makes sense and just in case anyone hasn't seen king of comedy basically the storyline is this up-and-coming comedian kidnaps the a very famous late night talk show host jerry langford and then gets arrested for it but then eventually once he's released from prison becomes the famous comedian, the most famous yeah. comedian in America and has his own talk show. Yeah. But when but, he kidnaps Jerry, the talk show host, he uh, blackmails the police and is allowing him to perform his comedy live on air on the talk show for one night. It's kind of like Joker, but not yeah. really with a blackmail situation. Yeah, exactly. So in Joker, instead, Arthur Fleck gets invited onto Maury's show because Maury has seen this video of Joker at this nightclub giving the worst comedian, stand-up comedian performance he's ever seen in Awful. his life. yeah. And he doesn't, and he's gonna bring him onto the show to make fun of him. Yeah, that's actually one of the best uh, character traits in Joker that perfectly display what kind of person Arthur Fleck is because he wants to be a comedian, but he is so different from other people that he doesn't understand comedy. So when he's obviously when he does <clears throat> when he does his stand up act, no one laughs because his comedy is weird and it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But also before that, when he's watching one of the other stand up comics go. And he's at a table when he's with the other audience members. They're all all the audience is laughing at this guy's stand up routine and Arthur Fleck is kinda like sitting there awkwardly while they're laughing and he doesn't understand why they're laughing. And then when the comedian says something like that isn't funny, then Arthur laughs, thinking it's funny, mm -hmm. and then he's looking around laughing and no one else is laughing. So he doesn't he doesn't understand why people what people think is funny and why people don't think the things he thinks is funny is funny. And even his notes aren't really that good. Yeah. Like his notes are something like about a relationship or like a, a, a like a man and wife too. So that shows you just how to, how different Arthur is and how how badly he, how much he doesn't fit in with the world. They all three of them don't fit in the world. Yeah. Rupert Pumpkin doesn't fit in the world oh, either. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. And something I want to talk about is the mother situation with with uh, not Travis. Travis's mother isn't even at all in the movie. He, he just writes to them. At yeah, the he writes his parents yeah. a card. That's it. But yeah. with with uh, Arthur Fleck and Rupert Pumpkin, their mother seems to play a major role in their lives. First of all, Arthur Fleck, his mother's very sick and also mentally disturbed, but is also very dependent. The cause of all of his pain and all of his his grief and yeah. you know his mental illness came from her and his his child abuse came from her. Mm. And so he's so messed up in the head. Because of what his mother did to him, what his mother's done to her, him her whole life. Yeah. I think that Arthur killing his mother was the next step. After that killing of the three guys and then him killing his mother, yeah. that was the next big step to becoming the Joker. Mm -hmm. And Because he eliminated 
uh, what you just said, the worst part of his life. Yeah, and then Rupert Pumpkin, his mother's not really in the movie. It's more of just her screaming at him downstairs. Yeah. But his mother is more of like, he clearly lives in his mother's basement. Yeah. And his mother probably takes care of him in, in every single way. He probably doesn't have a real job. You don't even see Yeah, him. he probably does all his laundry, cooks all his meals. Yeah. And his mother, to him, is probably an embarrassment who doesn't understand that he has so much talent that he just needs to show the world, which mm-hmm. is why he's constantly standing in front of that poster that we're, that with poster, the audience, yeah. So yeah. that poster and the, with the audience from it's my favorite shot in the movie, probably, mm-hmm. where he just walks. It's in that big hallway, wherever it is, and he just pretends to do routines in front of it and just stands in front of it. And he imagines the noise and the applause to the adoring the fans, cheers. similar to Arthur Fleck when he watches Maury with his mother in bed, yeah. imagining him, that he himself yeah. is in the audience, gets called down onto stage with Maury, Maury, Murray, and then becomes friends with Murray. Dream come true. Big hug and everything. Yeah. One of the one of the main themes in King of Comedy, and also I think it happens in Joker as well, is that the main character believes that their fantasies are more real than reality. It's kind of like that in Taxi Driver too, because yeah. he's kind of living a fantasy now. You know, he's 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 also has gone through a metamorphosis, just like Arthur Fleck, just like Rupert Pumpkin. Where now he's like he shaves his head. He has the just like the Joker, the he changes mohawk. his physical appearance. Well, yeah. So all of them, well, except for Rupert Pumpkin, because yeah. he just has he doesn't that change creepy things, mustache in the yeah. suits, but um, in the nice white shoes all the time. But uh, <laughs> but Pumpkin, I mean, um, Travis Bickle and Arthur Fleck go through physical transformations. Joker, Arthur Fleck doesn't even look human at at points in the movie where he just has his body contorted in these weird ways. He's so awkwardly skinny, looks yeah. so malnourished. And speaking of malnourishment, to go back to Travis Bickle, there's a scene where Travis Bickle is watching TV and he makes this really awkward meal. He mm-hmm. makes a meal of bread, brandy, sugar, and something else. I can't remember what it yeah, is. Yeah, he pours and the brandy over it. And he eats it, but it's, it's bread, sugar, and brandy. Yeah. And it's ironic because he's walking contradiction. Before that, in narration, he says that every, every muscle must be tight. And he said he talks about how he has to have eat a, he has to eat a, a good diet, a healthy yeah. diet. So basically, which he's not doing. That's like a reflection of what he's really like inside. Yeah, it's kind of like you are what you eat. They all the way they all treat themselves. So the way Arthur Fleck treats themselves is a reflection of his feelings. He's horribly unhealthy. The, the mm. two of them are very unhealthy. Chain smoke cigarettes. Yeah, and just gaunt. He's a gaunt human being. He mm. doesn't look human. He looks like a skeleton with skin. Yeah. The physicality is, is insane. And, yeah, and Arthur also, he doesn't fit in with even the other clowns. So, like, Travis doesn't fit in they with the other cabbies. Yeah. yeah, so, like, all these weird recluse people, they don't even fit in with them. Yeah. Either of them. They're do. the outcasts of the outcasts. And then Pupkin doesn't fit in with normal people at all, specifically when he's constantly in the waiting room talking to the receptionist, and she doesn't want anything to do with him. Yeah. And he, he thinks they're he having He doesn't a understand. Work. He thinks they're having a great conversation. Yeah, his face, he sells it. He's like, oh, this is great. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about the music, specifically the music between Taxi Driver versus the music in Joker. Mm. And so Taxi Driver, um, they constantly do this back and forth between that like off rhythm, like speeding up tempo yeah, percussion, percussion with the drums, and then they switch immediately. They'll switch to saxophone, like the soothing, like erotic saxophone, mm-hmm. which Marty would use and uses in situations of romance or or something erotic going on or something's about to happen. Then he'll switch immediately to the percussion and and the uh, and, and the rhythm, and then 
Joker is just like such a haunting score. That cello. Like when you when you listen to Joker by itself, just the score, it's yeah. you get in a pretty shitty mood. It's a beautiful score. She actually she made the score before they started filming. Yeah, I don't even want to try and pronounce her name. Yeah, Hilder uh, or something. Yeah, Hilder something. But she did an amazing job in like she won the Oscar. That music is almost as off-putting as the movie. Mm. Like the Joker is a hard watch. I'm not gonna deny. It's that. not. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy watch. Yeah, I know people who. I'm like, so surprised it made a billion dollars. Too. I know people who saw it and they're like, I saw Joker. It's amazing. Probably never watch it again. And I don't blame them mm. because for some people they don't they can't take it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a it's a challenging movie for today's audience, which is surprising again why it made a billion dollars mm. because of like how hard they look at mental disorder and the effects that society can have on people and how people can just go crazy. Mm. And you see it in, in the realistic like tone that T- Todd Phillips put to it. Yeah. Whereas you see a lot of movies with psychotic people or like serial killers, like, oh, it's a serial killer. But then like you just watch the mental breakdown of somebody for an hour and 45 minutes yeah. until he's completely broken down. Mm. And it's not as like, I wouldn't say it's as dramatic in Taxi Driver, but it's a lot less toned down in, t- in terms of like being a psychotic person and yeah. mentally ill. Because I don't think he's really mentally ill in Taxi Driver. Uh, he's not. Yeah, that's that's a big difference between them. Yeah. The, the worst thing to come out of the Joker movie was the unfair stigma put on the movie uh, in terms of its violence. And it even became a huge story before the film even came out, before anyone even saw it, with people proclaiming that it was a dangerous movie and that it would be too violent for audiences and that it would inspire copycats um which obviously didn't happen the movie came out nothing happened i mean they had police at premieres they had police at premieres and we're talking about nobody even knew what the movie what happened in the movie and this strange thing happens in our culture in terms of violence especially violence portrayed in films where it's okay for john wick to shoot up 300 people and audiences cheer him on and laugh and have a good time but a film where only what five or six people get killed, if that yeah. is deemed dangerous to society, before anyone even sees it. So, it the Joker movie really brought about this dialogue of how America perceives violence in movies, and it's very flawed. Like, how can you say that a movie is dangerous if you don't even know what's in it? Mm-hmm. And how can we glorify? Like, and actually, the reason why I think it's off-putting to people is. Because a film like Joker properly addresses violence, especially gun violence and murder and mental illness, and it can be disturbing, um, and it's a it's a tough movie to watch, like you said, but also it's authentic and it's real, and these are things that we need to talk about. We can't avoid them, and I think it's actually more dangerous to society to have movies that glorify violence and act like killing three hundred people is no big deal. Mm-hmm. Those are the movies where, if killing someone doesn't seem like it's that big of a consequence then obviously that's more dangerous whereas joker we understand the weight of someone being killed you know what i mean yeah so i think joker was given this unfair stigma by a lot of people and i mean are there gonna, are there currently societal consequences though with these characters the way but the way people are perceiving them in terms of like just painting like all white male introverts as sociopathic murderers yeah the question is people the question that people like to ask is do movies, um, do violent movies make people violent? I don't think so at all. I don't think so. I, and I don't really, I don't think it's fair the way that they thought it was going to be like, oh, there's going to be shootings at the movie theaters. Yeah. The media is portraying 
there's a movie coming out. There's going to be shootings. There's going to be mass shootings at movie theaters. They were like highlight. They were like advertising it. Yeah. Remember when we went to see the movie and there were yeah. there were security yeah. guards, there were police guards. officers yeah. there. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened anywhere. And obviously people are going to say, oh, it's because they had security guards. No. It's not, no. That wouldn't have stopped. It's not all. That wouldn't have It's just people. because the media, they saw a way to scare people. Yeah. And obviously that's what they did. They said, oh, this is going to be the next Aurora shooting. And to compare it to the Aurora shooting is so disingenuous because people still think that the guy who, sh- the horrible act of sh- mass shooting the people in the, the movie theater during the Dark Knight Rises screening mm-hmm. at the Aurora, they still say he was pretending to be the Joker, which is completely false. Not at all true. He was not pretending to be the Joker. It had no relation to the Joker, which obviously the media took that shooting and said, this will be the next Joker because he was the Joker. Yeah. He did not pretend he was the Joker. The media said he be- wanted to be the Joker. Mm-hmm. Dyed his hair orange. The Joker has green hair. We all know this. Yeah. Nothing to do with the comic book. It was just a person who was was very mentally disturbed yeah. and wanted to take out his feelings on killing people, which is a horrible thing to do. I think that's what people don't want to understand is they don't want to come to terms with the fact that sometimes you can't explain things. Things happen. Violence happens in the world. There are mil- billions of people in the world. Not everyone winds up with a perfectly mentally capable brain. There's 350 million people in this country. Yeah. Obviously, there are going to be people that have problems and we have to deal with them, but we can't like make excuses and blame a movie for causing violence that a person caused because they're mentally ill. Yeah, I just don't think it's very fair, especially to Todd Phillips, despite that maybe all that negative press was one of the reasons why I got a billion dollars. It could be, but I think any time that people want to try, try to control art is a dangerous um, proposition. Well, yeah, well, obviously we don't want to get too political on this yeah. podcast, but because that's pretty close to where we seem to be going, but we, we won't talk about that too much because we, we don't want to do politics on this on this podcast yeah. at all. But I just think the main thing is like, you can't single out one movie for violence without singling out all of them. I, I completely agree. I, my favorite story about, one of my favorite Scorsese stories in general is the story about the uh, climactic shootout in Taxi Driver. And uh, what happened was when they finished the film and put it together and they showed it to the MPAA, it got an X rating. So it, can, it wouldn't only be able to show at X rated movie theaters um, because they, the MPAA deemed it too violent and too graphic. And they pointed out the uh, shootout as why it was rated X. And Scorsese was freaking out. He's like, I made this masterpiece. I mean, he didn't say this, but he's like, he made this masterpiece and Warner Brothers wasn't going to let him release it because the MPAA gave it an X rating. He didn't know what to do. And rumor has it that he went to a bar with a handgun and just drank all night and contemplated trying to coerce the uh, studio with at a gunpoint to uh, <laughs> let him release the film. And then um, he avenge- a few of his friends came and talked him out of it and calmed him down. And then what he ended up doing was for that climactic scene, he desaturated the color. So the blood, which was dark red and like splattered everywhere, it when they desaturated it, it became like this pale pink color. So it became less graphic looking. And so he did this desaturation and then showed it again to the MPAA and they uh, approved it with an R rating, even though he didn't even change the edit, he just changed the coloring. And so that's how it was released as rated R without changing. You know what's not fair about that is movies were had come out that had a lot of blood in them. Yeah. Carrie. Yeah. Came oh, out in so 1976, same year as Taxi Driver. Yeah. 
she is covered in I, blood. There's probably more blood in that movie than any other movie. Covered. The main poster for that movie yeah. is her covered in blood. Yeah. So that gets approved, but Taxi Driver doesn't. Same kind of thing with Joker. It's yeah. just a very powerful, intense movie. And so people, they don't want people to see it. Yeah. They didn't want people to see Joker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is a... Which is a just, it, it was people were boycotting the release. It's a shame. It's yeah. a masterpiece. Yeah. And you know what? I saw that movie. I didn't want to kill anybody. Wow! Really? Wow! Can you believe you it? You didn't want to kill can anyone after seeing Joker. I played Grand Theft Auto for three years. Never wanted to kill anybody. Man, that's strange. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this: Do you think that Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is better than Heath Ledger's Joker? I don't think anything will ever top Heath Ledger's Joker. I don't know if that's like a biased point of view because uh i love that performance so much i think joker heath ledger is like one of the best acting performances i've ever seen in my entire life and um the thing with it is again because jo joker has such like a less comic book-esque flair to it it's a character driven it yeah. almost half the time doesn't seem like he's the joker until he starts doing the makeup and yeah. stuff but you know dark knight Constantly, the whole time you see him, besides when he's pretending to be a cop, he's always in makeup. Yeah, that's the that's actually the big point of it is in Dark Knight, the Joker's already fully formed. Yeah, he is the Joker. Yeah, so we, yeah, he's already. And his we don't full we form. don't even know his past. Yeah. Nolan keeps it a secret and he just messes with us. Yes. That's the whole point of it. Whereas in Joker, he slowly becomes the Joker, and I think the the final moment where he finally becomes the Joker is when he's been arrested for killing Murray. And then um, he's in the police car, and it gets crashed into by that ambulance. And um, the guys pull him out of the car, and he's in Arthur is just covered in blood, and he's just a mess. And then he like finally comes to, and he sees this crowd of rioters around him, and they're all like cheering for him because they recognize him from the TV show. And he stands on top of the cab, on top of the police car, and he and he uh, spreads the blood across his cheeks to make it a giant smile. Mm -hmm. And he and the crowd's cheering for him. That's when he finally becomes the Joker. Exactly. That moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're right. And when I was in theater watching that scene, because the whole entire third act of that movie, it, I don't think my mouth closed at all. I, my mouth was agape the entire time. I was like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing for like the last 20 minutes. Like as soon as he shot Murray from that point on, it's yeah. insane. It's absolute chaos. And then... I honestly wanted to stand up and cheer and clap <laughs> when he was standing on the on the police vehicle, yeah. and he's just like doing that Joker stance like that, uh -huh. and it's like one of the most powerful scenes I've ever seen in a movie theater in my life, and I freaking love that movie. But again, to the question, great character. I, I mean, it's probably Joaquin's best performance, if not one of them, one of the best performances in the last five years. But still, when it comes to who's my favorite Joker. Again, because it took the whole movie for him to become the Joker, I'm still going to say Heath Ledger's Joker is my favorite Joker. I would agree with you. Heath Ledger's my favorite Joker. Yeah. And Wait, I mean, not Jared Leto? <laughs> <laughs> my God. Mark Hamill's a better Joker than, than Heath Ledger. I mean, than Jared Leto. He's way better of a Joker. He just does the voice. <laughs> but, um, I mean, even Jack Nicholson's great as the Joker. Yeah, he's but really good. the great thing about what, what Todd Phillips did with Joker was... He did such a different version of Joker compared to Dark Knight Joker, compared to Suicide Squad Joker, compared to the Killing Joke Joker, that it was its own unique version of the character. And honestly, this character is probably the most coveted for acting performances out there because 
It's a guaranteed fucking Oscar at this point. <laughs> the best of the best, go for it. Unless you're Jared Leto, <laughs> who's a great actor. His just Joker just fucking sucked. Great actor, but my god, that, yeah, that was what, so what a fu- fucking shit show. What a waste of a movie. How do they make Suicide Squad and Squad not make Joker the main character? Dude, I don't know. It's what, or the main villain? Like, what the fuck? That's my biggest qualm with that movie. It could have been a good movie. But you have Joker, and he's just like comes in and out like every once in a while. It gives some guy a haircut, and then they have some fucking magical mythological fairy creature is the main character, and like who gives a fuck? It's because fucking studios are all about world like movie universe building. They're gonna be like, oh, the Joker's gonna be the main villain in like the third Suicide Squad. This is Come what I, this is what we talked about earlier. Stop caring about building a trilogy and make a fucking good movie first. Yeah. Who's gonna see the second one if you can't make it? Exactly. Oh my like, god! Like people are dying to see a second Joker because the first one was so good. Yeah, and people are dying to see more John Wicks because the first one was awesome. They yeah. didn't know it was gonna be. They're like, "Oh, Keanu shooting guns—that's kind of cool," but like, yeah. it might not be that good because a lot of people don't like Keanu. Like yeah. John Wick revived Keanu's career like a motherfucker. Oh yeah, absolutely. People love- there wouldn't be a Matrix Four filming right now if it wasn't for John Bro, Wick. People love John Wick and Keanu, but they and they don't act like they were talking shit about him ten years ago. Oh yeah. People used like, to whenever I talked about Keanu Reeves, would be like Keanu sucks. He's not that good of an actor. Yeah. Now they fucking love him. Oh yeah. I've been loving on Keanu for decades. I never stopped loving Keanu. Always love that man. <laughs> but now people like him because he's the new hot thing with John Wick. Shut the fuck up. You're not a real Keanu fan. You don't know shit about fuck. I am an FBI agent. Can't describe how I'm feeling. <laughs> I love the uh, the last scene in Joker in the uh, mental institution where he's talking to the psychiatrist because mm-hmm. it shows that it shows that he's finally um, accepted himself for who he was and understands that he's different. But now he thinks he's better than other people mm-hmm. because of how different he is. And and that example is shown when. Um, he laughs to himself. He's like smoking a cigarette and he just giggles to himself. And the psychiatrist asks him, What's so funny? And he looks at her. He's like, You wouldn't get it. Because mm-hmm. he knows, like, they're not, she's not, gonna, she doesn't understand him. And like, I'm me. And I finally understand who I am. And there's no way she would ever understand me. Do you think the whole thing was in his head? And do you think that he's laughing like that because he imagined that entire movie in his head? No. And that's what he's laughing at? That's so stupid. I hate shit like theories like that. So you don't think he, you think he was real? Yeah, I think he's real. He's the Joker now. See, like I like to have fun with movies and I like to enjoy them. So I always have like the good endings. Yeah. Like I say, Inception, he fell, it fell down. He's in real in the real world, uh-huh. and I like to think Joker, he's in the real world and he did all that. Yeah. That's how I I like to have fun. It's so, like why even like make it? Why even think it was a dream? I mean, it's fun to think about. But some people get very upset but about what's it. What's the point of even the whole movie then? Because people like to argue, man. I guess people like to get in fights. You know what it's like. People just constantly down your throats online and shit, man. Yeah, I'm learning now. Anytime, anytime you put every video I post, people are like, "Oh, you're a fucking loser, bro." <laughs> oh, this guy's not from Massachusetts. He fucking sucks. <laughs> every video I post in the comedy account, it's it's insane. <laughs> it's nuts. People just want to be better than you. People just want to be correct over you. Rather than why can't we both be correct? Why can't my inner truth be real and your inner truth be real? Why can't Arthur Fleck be real and killing all these people and doing all this crap? And why does he not have to be asleep? What do you think could happen with the sequel? See, that's the thing. Like, part of me wants a sequel, but part of me doesn't because it's a masterpiece. And I don't, I don't believe in sequels to masterpieces. Like, they shouldn't have made sequels to The Matrix, but here we are. <laughs> but, 
or Spider-Man 1, but here we are. <laughs> hey, Spider-Man 2 is awesome. Spider-Man 2 is better than Spider-Man 1. It's pretty good. I don't yeah. know about that. It's Dude, with Doc Ock and... Oh, man. Fully Any, formed characters? Anyways. Oh, great. Anyways. Oh, you like fully formed characters, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> fully formed. Anyways. Um, but, like, when you're watching the end, you're watching the last couple of scenes, and you're just thinking in your head, what could they do with, like, the... The prince, the evil prince of Gotham, yeah. like the prince of crime of Gotham. Like, what can they do? We've never really seen it. Like, you see Joker in the Dark Knight fucking shit up all the time, but you don't see like him build his empire of crime. Yeah. You don't see him creating the, this this world of chaos everywhere. Which you, I mean, yes, in the Dark Knight, but you know what I mean. Where like you have unli- you have a brushstroke, and he's the main character, whereas Dark Knight is not the main character. Batman is the main character. Yeah. So the whole movie is going to be centered around. The prince, the evil prince of Gotham, which I would love to see, and it would be an, a completely different movie because he would start out fully formed as the Joker. Mm-hmm. So it, would be, it wouldn't be a movie about someone tr- dealing with mental illness. Yeah, it would just be a Joker movie, which, th- which is why I want to see another one. I think it would probably, if they do it, it's gonna take a little while because they have to come up with a really good story. Yeah, and th- that's the, the main thing. You got to come up with a, a great script. If the script, if the script's not great, they can't do it. But yeah, but Warner Brothers is. Email and Todd Phillips every week like you got something yet? You yeah, got but, something but yet? Joaquin, we, we, we want another billion dollars. Joaquin doesn't do sequels, and if he does, it'll be his first sequel. He actually came up with that idea for the sequel. Yeah, but we'll see if he decides to want to do it because he's such an auteur yeah. that you know he might not want to do it eventually. So we'll see. But it'd be cool. Johnny to Depp called himself an auteur before he did Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> he's like in the nineties. He said he would never sell out and do uh, big studio movies. Yo, when now studio- he's done five. When a studio's like, yo, you want a $30 million check, Johnny? You want to buy an island? I'll take that check. You want to get sued by Amber Heard and then win the fight? Here you go. (laughs) Here's some money. But no, Pirates 1 is is great, though. Dude, Pirates 1 is a great movie. He's a fantastic movie. It's a fun character. It was originally supposed to be Hugh Jackman. Oh, really? Yeah. He was originally cast as uh, Jack Sparrow. I could see that working. uh, But he was going to play it straight. What do you mean? Like a, a straight, like, leading action hero. Because Johnny Depp played it so ridiculous. Yeah, I know. But he was, it wasn't going to be a comedy at all. Well, because you know who he based his performance off of, right? Yeah, Keith Richards. And uh, Pepe Le Pew. Yeah. So the both of them together. Yeah. But yeah, Hugh Jackman, it would have just been like Hugh Jackman with a British accent. Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> Guy's ripped. He's ripped from the waist up. He was also uh, originally cast in Drive. Hugh Jackman? Yeah. That would have sucked. <laughs> Hugh Jackman was the driver. He would have oh been too God. old. Well, don't you think that th- that's an, a con to Joker as Joaquin's kind of old, and if they have to wait like three, four years to do this, you know, mm. he's, he's getting up there. He's still, he, he's got a little gray hair, but he's still there. He's, he's like 50, bro. Is he? Yeah, he's old as fuck. But he does look like shit. <laughs> he kind of looks like shit half the time. It's because he doesn't eat any meat. Because he chain smokes cigarettes and he's a vegan. Bro, <laughs> someone needs to get him some B12. I'm going to send him a shipment of some like whole milk, get him a cheeseburger. Oh, he does not want milk, man. He wants some vitamin B12. <laughs> the last thing he wants is milk. Rooney Mara is great. I like. I think she's a fantastic <laughs> actress. It's cute how they both wear converses all the time in, in public. and In all black. Into award shows. They were they wore conferences to the Oscars and stuff. They're so cool. Yeah, <laughs> they're like the rebels in high school. They like have like a two piece band, multi millionaire rebels. <laughs> Dude, Rooney's set for life, anyways, because her family owns the Steelers and the Giants. Yeah, she's fine. Which is ins- she's named after both the families that own the teams. Rooney Mara. Oh yeah, it's insane. And then her, her sister Kate Mara, she's pretty cool. She's pretty awesome cool. in House of Cards. Yeah, she's good. 
So she got she shoved got into, a train. into a train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By he who must not be named anymore. <laughs> All right, that's a that's a wrap on episode seven of Raiders of the Lost podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Make sure to follow us everywhere. We got the Instagram up. We got the TikTok up. We got the YouTube channel. If you're listening to this, go subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, hit the follow button. Leave us a five-star review. Please. We're, we're trying to feed our cat and put him through school. <laughs> he needs to eat. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye.